Hi guys, it's me, Catherine, and I'm here with the first general history episode of The Addicted Austinite. Today's topic, what is a Georgian? If you want to search for Georgian history on the net, the first things you are going to find will be related to either the country or the American state. They are most certainly Georgians in their own right, but in Jane Austen's context, they're not exactly what we're looking for. Contrary to popular belief, Jane Austen wasn't a Victorian. She gets lumped in with the likes of the Brontes and Dickens and George Eliot, all brilliant authors, all Victorian, all very close together. But Jane was actually a Georgian Briton. Now, the Georgian era in British history actually covers a long stretch of time before Queen Victoria when there were four successive King Georges on the British throne. Historians are so great at naming things. Uh, there was George I, George II, George III and George IV. Or, as Horrible Histories likes to call them, the sad one, the bad one, the mad one and the fat one. They ruled from 1714 to 1830, so over a hundred years, and obviously Jane Austen doesn't live through all of that. For Jane, she was born under the rule of George III, and technically she died under him as well, but at the time of her death the country was going through a period called the Regency. That term, Regency, can actually confuse a lot of people because the Regency is a period of the Georgian era, but not all of the Georgian era was Regency, and Jane straddled both in her lifetime. Are you still following me so far? Good. So, as I referred to a minute ago, George III, who ruled from 1760 to 1820, is often referred to as Mad King George. He is most famous for being mad and for losing America, but we don't like to talk about that. Now, there are a lot of different theories about what made King George mad. Um, I'd mentioned a few, but I don't want to get in trouble with the royal family for spreading rumours, so I'll let you Google that for yourselves. But everyone agrees that whatever it was that made him mad also made him very, very ill. So ill, in fact, that towards the end of his reign, from 1811 to 1820, his son, George, who would become George IV later on, was ruling the country as Prince Regent. And this is where the term Regency comes from. But Catherine, I hear you ask, why wasn't George, soon to be the fourth, made king in 1811? Well, simply... The king was still alive, but he was too ill to actually abdicate, which required him to be compass mentis, which he definitely wasn't. Um, but he was well enough that he didn't actually die. So George Jr. was basically running the country, but his dad still held the title. That eventually changed in 1820 when George III finally died, but George IV didn't get to celebrate for long as he died only 10 years after becoming king for real this time. I know that there are plenty of historians, lots of books and 
tons of documentaries out there that can give you a lot more detail about this period and the definition of the term regency. But I think for the purposes of this podcast, we only need to keep it simple. What's important for us is that the Regency period and the rest of George IV's reign had a very distinct culture from the rest of the Georgian era, and this had an impact on Jane's works. Now, I promise you that there will be episodes about specific aspects of Georgian and Regency culture in the coming weeks, but for now, as an overview, the Regency was all about the arts and luxury. George IV loved to spend money, almost as much as he loved to eat, and his favourite thing to spend money on was the arts. And how did this impact Jane? Well, before 1811, and Jane herself actually references this in her novels, especially Northanger Abbey, novels were not considered a very good source of entertainment. They were stupid and frivolous. But as national literacy rose and printing books became easier, more and more people were reading. And when George IV decided to enjoy and patronise novels, they became the it item of the early 1800s. And though Jane wrote most of her novels well before the Regency period, it was just as the Regency was starting that Jane finally gets her books published. She had made attempts before this time to send her books out into the world, but had been unsuccessful. So it's pretty easy to see a connection between the onset of the Regency and Jane's success at publishing. Also, George IV reportedly loved Jane's books, so much so that through his librarian, a Mr Stanier Clark, Jane was allowed, in heavily inverted commas, to dedicate her next book, which just so happened to be Emma, to the Prince Regent. Now, Jane didn't have a high opinion of George not quite yet the fourth. Really, nobody did. Whilst the increase in the arts was something to be applauded, George spent money like it was burning a hole in his britches, and regular British citizens really didn't appreciate that, especially with a large gap between the rich and the poor. And this is why I find it so hilarious that it's Emma that ended up being dedicated to him, with its divisive heroine, a frivolous air-headed rich girl with no idea of how society really functioned. I'll leave you to draw your own comparisons there. Now, I'm not saying that Jane based Emma on George IV, but that is one hell of a poetic coincidence that that book is the one that is dedicated to him. So, if you listened to my previous episode, Unbecoming Jane, you'll know that the Regency era only really happened towards the end of Jane's life, as she died in 1817. But it has become the overriding image that popular culture has connected her to. There's nothing wrong with that, necessarily. Her books were published then, 
It's a society into which they were received and it is connected to their popularity. But it's important to note the distinction between Georgian and Regency in terms of culture and how that relates to the England that Jane's books actually take place in. The best way to see this distinction is actually by reading Northanger Abbey and Persuasion in that order back to back. Now they're both set in the same place, primarily, Bath, but the differences in the portrayal of the place and the society of leisure in the upper classes couldn't be more different, as Northanger Abbey was written mostly in the 1790s, whereas Persuasion was written in the middle 1810s. Northanger Abbey is youthful and exciting. The heroine Catherine Morland, she loves Bath. Whereas in Persuasion, the heroine, Anne Elliot, is less inclined to appreciate the city which she connects with men like her father, who like to spend money they don't have to keep up with appearances. And the attitudes of Sir Elliot are very Regency. If you don't believe me, just read Vanity Fair. So, as you can see, the world Jane lived in really had an effect on her works, so it's important to understand just exactly what world she lived in. And hopefully now, after this episode, we are all on the same page as to what England that was and the timescale that we're going to be looking at as these episodes progress. So from now on, the episodes are going to focus a bit more on specific history within Jane's lifetime. I'm thinking that the next episode will be a timeline of major events during her life, but there may be some other episodes of different categories in between. I really hope that you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I loved making it. If you haven't guessed already, I love talking about Jane Austen. And I'd love actually to hear your comments on what I've discussed here. You can leave me comments on whatever platform it is that you download your podcasts from, or you can tweet me. I'm at Kath Price Author, all one word. And I hope to see you for the next episode. Thanks for listening and happy reading. Your faithful servant, the author.